welcome. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. As we review the Monday Nighter, certainly one that I don't think either of us saw going that way, especially with the quarterback matchup that was happening. It's the Seahawks victorious 20-17 to over the Eagles. And you know, Donovan, actually, I should probably promote our guest. Uh, Lisa Ann will be joining us in about 10 minutes time. Uh, Lisa, host of the Lisa Ann Experience podcast, The Better Haves on Sirius XM and fantasy football and sports betting analyst. Uh, she nailed her picks last night, that's for sure. Um, but Donovan, in that game, what's your... What's your biggest takeaway from it? Because I don't know that I learned a lot about, well, maybe I did learn a lot about the Seahawks in that they didn't have Jamal Adams yesterday. They did not have Devin Witherspoon. They're kind of big deals for that defense. They also didn't have their starting quarterback. They still managed to beat the Eagles. Granted, it was at home, but the Eagles at full strength, aside from whatever was ailing Jalen Hurts. But what did you learn last night? Well, not having Jamal Adams might be a pro when it comes Sometimes, to yeah. pass pro. Yeah. Um, they did have Julian Love, two fourth-quarter INTs, someone who knows that Eagles team and offense well, having played against them frequently when he was in New York. I learned that the vibes in the Seattle Seahawks QB room are pretty good, evidently, because you have Geno Smith who it was touch and go whether or not he was going to start. And he was active, too. He was active on the sidelines celebrating. Sure was. With Drew Locke. Drew Locke threw a couple dimes on third down with the game on the line. 92 yards in under two minutes. That's the longest drive the Seahawks have had all season. The Eagles have big issues, mm -hmm. and we'll probably spend most of our time dissecting them because they are – the team that we know are going to make the playoffs. Uh, the Seahawks keep their playoffs hope alive with that win. But to me, I was super excited for Drew Locke, someone who I didn't expect to play, didn't expect to play well, didn't really care about um, going into the game, but he waits 1,200 days to be in that spot to have a game-winning drive. Essentially, he could have waited for two electric cars to be built and shipped <laughs> and and still not gotten that spot. And I think we forget it is the year of the backup and they've played so frequently. But when you're a guy like Locke, who was essentially thrown in to the Russell Wilson deal, like yep. just to make so the we money need a, We need a quarterback. Just send us one. It, second round pick, had an opportunity in Denver. The house was on fire around him. Wasn't a real opportunity. Gets the job in Seattle, essentially beat out from under him by Geno Smith. And you forget, in a film study, tape, weight, throws on air that these backup QBs are doing for the glimmer of hope that they're going to get their moment. He was waiting, and when he got his moment, he was ready. But on the flip side, do we have to have a conversation about the Philadelphia Eagles offense? I was going to say quarterback. But the quarterback was under the weather, trying to have his Jordan flu game. But for now, you got Jalen Hurts, 19 pass TDs, 17 turnovers. Oh, interesting. I thought only Josh Allen got criticized for stuff like that. 
12 INTs, five fumbles lost, and they might lose uh, first place in the division after they have already lost first place in the NFC. I think this is a five-alarm fire for Philadelphia. For sure. Uh, you mentioned Drew Locke there. Um, Drew Locke had a conversation with Lisa Salters after the game. Here's a little snippet of, uh, of Drew Locke after that win. No, we're just having some technical issues. Um. Amazing won't do it justice. Amazing won't do it justice, but amazing also doesn't do justice with the O-line, what DK did on that catch, what the receivers did, what Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet did all game long, the tight ends, man. It takes a special group to rally around a guy that, you know, has come into his second game of the year, right? Used to the same thing all year long, same cadence, same spin of the ball, everything. For a team like that, not just the offense, the defense to rally around me tonight, man, that was that was amazing. I see some, I hear some emotion in your voice. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed. Blessed with a great group of guys, a great city, great coaching staff. It's just, it's, it's awesome. It is pretty awesome. And the, like you mentioned, the, some of the throws he made on that drive. The, the funniest thing about that drive was Drew Locke was either spot on or he threw it in the dirt. Like there was almost no in between. You needed Drew Locke to make a big play in a big moment. He did it. But when you needed him to, you know, gain four yards on second down, threw it at their feet. Like it was, there was no in between. But even for as great as that game winning throw was, and by the way, shout out Matt Patricia for having them rotate to single high safety on that. And Drew Locke's just like, oh, that guy's got one on one. This should be fun. Uh, Shades of the 2022 Rose Bowl. Uh, from Jackson Smith and Jigba, what a catch that was too. Like, give credit to him because he has to really bring that in and corral it. He almost makes like, you know, as we would say in baseball, like a snow cone grab. Like, it's a fingertip grab. Pulls it in, reels it in for the touchdown, and you're going like, holy smokes. And shout out on the other side of the ball, Julian Love. I don't know that his toe hit to keep that interception. That was what was ruled on the field. I believe it did. But that was the slimmest of margins, and what a great job to get over there to make that game-winning, essentially, well, no, essentially, the game-winning interception. I think it's toe hit. But I think, ultimately, when you talk about those two big plays made by you know, big-time playmakers, I think the biggest thing, for me, the takeaway is predictability. Yeah. Locke talked about it later in that interview with Lisa Salters, who, by the way, did a great job and understood the moment and followed up on the emotions that were clear on his face and in his voice. Talked about that play, and Locke said not only did he know, he told uh, Jackson to be ready, and he heard in his headset, you were going to get one-on-one, and that's where the the ball needs to go because safety was not going to be able to get over in time, as you mentioned, the single high safety. Matt Patricia special. But that's the point. They knew. They knew exactly what they were going to get in that moment, and thus they could take the shot. And on the flip side, coming out of that Seattle defensive huddle, everything they heard was, and Julian Love said this in terms of how he knew how to get on his bike and get over there, was that we knew in times of conflict he's going to eleven that uh-huh. he was going to go to his big-time playmaker, and so he knew he could provide a little bit of help and make the game-clinching play. 
the Eagles on offense, on defense, are far too predictable. And we talked about some of the changes in the secondary, some of the changes in the defensive line, but you know what a great draft they had and how High Roseman continues to stock the cupboard. Ultimately, the loss of not one but two coordinators is for me the biggest difference in this team from a year ago to now. And now in season, they've moved on from Desai after saying that they weren't going to. They quietly moved over to Matt Patricia. But Matt Patricia's defense is entirely different than what they've done before. And then when you look on the offensive side, is Nick Sirianni going to have to start calling plays again? Which is how he you know, rose to, to prominence because their offense doesn't look right either. So here's a quote from Jalen Hurts. Um, I've been talking about execution all year, being on the same page, everyone being on the same page. We didn't execute. I don't think we're all, we're all committed enough. Just got to turn it around. You know, it's a challenge that we have to embrace. Just continue to see it through. And then he was asked what he meant uh, by being not committed. And he said, commitment. I don't have a dictionary on me right now. I don't know how else to say it. Well, I'm sorry, Jalen, but you need to look in the mirror as well. Sick or not, you probably shouldn't be making that throw in that moment, which was the game-clinching interception. There was no need to push the ball down the field like that. You needed a field goal to at least get yourself there. Because it's not like the offense was moving the ball at some great pace throughout the game. You needed 13 yards to get yourself into field goal range. We've already seen what Jake Elliott has done in you know that 60-yarder against the Bills to tie it and send it to overtime. You have faith in your kicker. I didn't love the idea of him pushing the ball down the field in that moment because they had time. They had timeouts. To me, that is you trying to play hero ball a little bit too. And he did say it starts with me. So he had some accountability. I think the biggest question is it it shouldn't be a close football game between the two based off of the records coming in. And this is not an anomaly. This is the trend for this offense. I think for Jalen Hurts, this was when keeping it real goes wrong because I'm, I'm sure it, there is truth to what he said. The point is, is there a benefit to saying it publicly? And then when you're pushed on it, you then can't snap back and say, well, I, I don't have a dictionary. It, it's clear what you mean. What we wanted to know is who you meant it about. Yeah. But when you juxtapose that with the comments coming out of San Francisco when they were 0-3, or sorry, when they had lost three straight. Yep. No matter who was at the podium, they all said, we have the answers in the room. Mm-hmm. We're just going to get back to work and look at the tape. Very similar to the comments you had coming out of Buffalo when essentially their playoffs started three weeks ago. Yep. And at this point of the year, you're trying to minimize the noise. I wonder if those comments will be received similar to... Uh, the conversation we had in Chicago about being a little bit too honest with the media, and then you have to walk back those comments if you're Justin Fields. I think there's probably truth to it, but there's no benefit in telling the truth all the time. No, there isn't. Um, Someone who was watching that game closely last night and uh, certainly got her picks correct, uh, Lisa Ann, host of the Lisa Ann Experience podcast, the better halves on Sirius XM and fantasy football sports, uh, fantasy football and sports betting analyst joins us here. Uh, Lisa, I I noticed the pick yesterday when I saw it. um, Moneyline Seahawks under game total. Fantastic. My question to you is, how worried are you about the Eagles at this point? 
I think this is like this game really didn't matter to the Eagles as much as it did to Seattle. Uh, you got Jalen Hurts with a little bit of a, a flu, whatever he's got going on. The defense definitely making a, a change at coordinator is important. I'm not that worried. I'm looking at their overall record. We see teams in the season go through a bit of a slump. I'm more worried about Kansas City and the lack of receivers that Patrick Mahomes has to, to deal with than what Jalen Hurts can put together, not just by himself, but with his depth. I mean, the depth and health. Think about how healthy, other than Jalen Hurts, this team really is. I didn't think they could pull up the win. Him being ill was one thing. Also, it is much different for teams to travel east to west and west to east. Uh, that throwing a little wrench in it as well. And the Thursday, you know, the, the, the Monday night game, kind of giving them a little bit more rest, but they got that beat down from my Dallas Cowboys. Then look, my Dallas Cowboys got shown the right way of who they are in the rain this week by the Buffalo Bills. So I'm not that worried about Philly. Well, you mentioned Kansas City, and I am certainly worried uh, because I'm a Travis Kelsey fantasy owner. And it, as much as people are talking about the difference in the wide receiver room, Rasheed Rice has given you more than what you got out of Juju Smith-Schuster a year ago, and the other pieces are somewhat the same. I think the biggest difference for me is Travis Kelsey isn't the number one that he was a year ago. From a football and fantasy perspective, is Travis Kelsey still clearly the, the number one tight end in the game? He is. I mean, if you drafted George Kittle instead, you've seen the dip in Kittle's production. I think Kelsey is just being double coverage because this hodgepodge mix match of nobody's going to totally cover Justin Watson, Rasheed Wright, Kadarius Tony, or MBS because they're all one-hit wonders. They have a game where they pop, and then they do nothing the next game. So I think when it comes to what teams are doing is they're just scheming out Kelsey and they're making it more difficult for him to be even put into the mix. And I think it's making him look sluggish. He might not be 100% healthy, but hey, we never know if next year Sam Laporta becomes the conversation that we're having in the new world of tight ends as opposed to the old conversation, which was Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. I'm, I'm glad you got us there because I mean, when we talk about the tight end position from a fantasy perspective, it's usually a wasteland. And we've seen some guys, like you talked about Sam Laporta. Sam Laporta is having one of the best rookie tight end seasons that we've ever seen. Like that's not even, it, he's in the conversation with Kyle Pitts and Mike Ditka. Like that's how good he's been. When well, you look at that. It's not hard to be in a conversation with Kyle Pitts. Well, now, yeah, sure. Um, but when you when you talk about that position, even going into next year, do you think that, it's going to be looked at a little bit differently because there are it's, or at least it feels like it's a little bit deeper. You talk about the season Cole Komet has had Dalton Kincaid has shown some flashes and there, and there've been some other guys that Sam Porter that have stepped up um, in, in, you know, what has been a wasteland historically. Do you think that people look at the position differently and change their tune? Maybe like they're changing their tune on the running back position as well. I do. And like even myself, I'm in multiple leagues. And what I do is I will only reach for a tight end in one or two of those leagues. The rest of the leagues, I just wait it out and I'll stream. I'll do your Irv Smith, your Tyler Higbees, your Noah fans. Like I will literally just look at that tight end position like the defense. Who is really sus against the tight end? Great. That's who I'm going to go and pluck off the waiver wire and throw in my lineup. Because your expectations, when you drop the tight end in like the first, second, or third round, obviously your expectations are never going to be met 
right? That's where you could have gotten a wide receiver that's gotten you a ton of yards, a Tyree Kill or even a Diggs, you know, or you could have gotten a running back even if it was uh, B. John Robinson, right? But when you go and you reach for Travis Kelsey, you're never satisfied. So I stream the position. I don't get attached to tight ends. They come and go off of my team. Uh, I like to be in teams, in leagues that allow a lot of movement. I'm not really that fan, uh, much of a fan of the old school. I'm in like three leagues where it's like only Tuesday nights and everything else is blocked the rest of the week. And I can't live that way. Life is too busy. I could be on a flight. So I just like to stream the tight end position. I think it's fun. It lets you really look into the defenses and it helps you with betting. If you want to really hone into sports betting the deeper you get into fantasy football or even just daily fantasy football the more you start to look at matchups and once you get those matchups down for these players that you're going to pluck off the waiver wire it's so easy to lay down a bet well that's where i am as much as it pains me to say this with the uh, running back position as a former running back myself i'm being kicked out of the fraternity but i think i'm at the point where i'm going zero rb strategy except for christian mccaffrey who's not only the best rb you could make an argument he's one of the best receivers is he your fantasy mvp this year and if not who is yeah he is my fantasy mvp christian mccaffrey just getting it done for another season i mean so glad I was able to draft him in a league in the ninth pick in the first round. He landed to me. I was drafting in the nine spot. Of course, I'm in the playoffs in that league because I got, I got Christian McCaffrey in the ninth spot. But I am never, ever, ever going to be a zero RB person. I draft with balance uh, because I don't want to be in a situation where my two running backs are only giving me a total of 20 points that I'm facing Christian McCaffrey. So you got to play defense as much as you play offense. I like to draft with a lot of balance. My first five to six rounds are really best available player. You know, who I really think is on an offense that I believe in. I think this year there were a lot of question marks. We didn't draft enough Tampa Bay receivers or, or tight ends because we didn't believe in Baker Mayfield. And look at Baker Mayfield now. He's getting it done. So the draft time really affects that. And then you can go back in and play DFS. But I, I could never go zero RB. No matter how hard I try, I sit there and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Because I, I took Alvin Kamara in probably 80% of my leagues. I didn't look at a three-game suspension as an issue. I knew by week four, one of my other running backs would be injured, right? So there's still a value with Saquon Barkley. There's still a value with Tony Pollard, even though he's not giving fantasy managers exactly what they wanted he's getting it done late in the season so that's been helpful lisa and host of the lisa and experience podcast better halves on sirius xm and fantasy football and sports betting analyst joining matt marchese and donovan bennett here so it's funny because zero, the funny thing about zero rb truthers is they will tell you that they are zero rb truthers like they will absolutely let you know but the funny thing for me is like I, what i've never understood and people get so bogged down in this and i try and tell people about this when they do fantasy drafts, because I, I used to host a fantasy show on this station. And and my point to them is always like, don't go in with any hard and fast rules because things change during a draft. When you start, yep. like, you need to zig when other people are zagging because there's going to be, you know, guys, oh, we're not taking running backs because, you know, all these wide receivers are going off the board. Well, then you can get value. I think that is the biggest mistake that fantasy players make is that, you you get so bogged down in this is my strategy and I can't stray away from it instead of, hey, there's some real value here. Maybe it's a guy like, 
I don't know. Um, this year, maybe it was Saquon Barkley, for example, because people were down on him, but he started to tumble down drafts. It's like, okay, but I can get Saquon in the third round. That's great yeah. value for for the volume he's going to get. Do you find that you do that as well, where you're just like, no, you know what? I, I have an idea of what I want to do, but it's also going to be determined by how other people are playing this game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. When I was drafting from the nine spot, the, the draft that I just mentioned, I assumed that I was going to be going with a wide receiver there, right? I thought I would be landing with Diggs. Uh, maybe I was going to get uh, C.D. Lamb. But the room did not work out that way. So, obviously, you don't leave Christian McCaffrey there because you're so structured that you're like, oh, I have to get a wide receiver or a tight end here. Like, that's just silly. You have to zig when other people zag. That is the main thing. And you never know... This league was a 14-team league. Uh, my sweet spot is between 12 and 14. I really don't like a 10-team league. I think you get too many studs, and you have to make too many tough decisions every week. Do you agree? 100%. I mean, I, I play it like I, I'm in a couple of dynasty leagues where it's 10 teams, and I'm okay with that because it provides it's nice balance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, sing, um, single-season leagues, I'm just like, ah, no, 12 is good, 14 is good. 10 is, I agree, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bit of a mess. Um, I had a, here's a question for you. So when you go into the draft this year, there are so many players that fall through the cracks. Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua, like we can kind of go down the list here. Who for you has done the most for their draft stock heading into next year after the season that they had? Kyron Williams, who was a last-round pickup for me in three leagues. Um, I always keep a little fun list of players that I want to watch. And I just dropped them with my last pick. I've already done my kicker, my defense. Uh, we've gotten to the point where there's no one there that, that's going to bring value, and I take risks. So that's, I looked at Kyron Williams. I thought the opportunity could really be there. I didn't think Cam Akers was going to make it through the season. If you remember, there were some relationship issues uh, between Cam Akers and his team last season, which made me believe, like, if, if you already are a, on a shaky foundation, most likely those cracks are going to resurface, right? So... It really worked out for me. I mean, Kyron Williams has been a stud, and I was able to have Kyron Williams in a league where I have Jonathan Taylor. Like, there were many injuries that, that landed to me where I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to play him. Like, week three, I'm just going to play him. Week four, I'm going to play him. And then eventually it's like, oh, I'm playing him over a player that I drafted in the fourth or fifth round every week. So, like you, I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, and unlike us, uh, my partner Matt here is a Bills fan. Circle so those wagons. His favorite play of all time oh. is Don Beebe just chasing down Leon Wett. <laughs> like, that's the play that he re replays in his mind all the time. But I have, all I, got. I have to say, though, uh, his Bills team looks like a juggernaut right now. I am of the belief that on a neutral field, the Bills would be favored against any team in the AFC. Right now, I also am of the belief that they're not going to make the playoffs because things are stacked against them. What is your read on the upcoming schedule for the Bills from a betting standpoint? I completely agree with you. Uh, this was a great opportunity. This is exactly how the Bills played our Dallas Cowboys a couple of seasons ago when we were in Buffalo and it was rainy just like this. Uh, it was the state. Like, I knew that morning. I saw the weather. I was like, we're toast, right? That doesn't mean Buffalo is back 100%. We haven't seen that kind of a run game from Buffalo yet this season. There's still a lot of inconsistencies there. And Josh Allen is kind of doing what Dak did last year by all the turnovers, right? So maybe this is his cycle this season is he's got to get right now after the season and work on those turnovers, just like it seems like Dak did. 
As a Cowboys fan, I will be happy if we make it past the first round of the playoffs. I'm not greedy. I'm not looking for us to go to Super Bowl. I'm not asking too much. I keep my expectations low. This way, I'm usually pretty satisfied with life. If we make it past round one, to me, it is a victory lap for all Dallas Cowboys fans. Like I always say, an average man is always at its best. So, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a line of thinking that really works there. Uh, I have one more fantasy question before we let you go. This was a conversation that we had in, in one of my group chats, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this because I think it's really interesting heading into next year, especially with the, the draft capital that both of these guys came into the league with this year. They're both running backs. Who gets drafted higher next year, Jameer Gibbs or Bijan Robinson? Right? It's tough. I mean, I think I, 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 I think if we were asking me this question eight weeks ago, it would have been B. John Robinson. And not even right? close, right? You're asking, not even close. You're asking me now, it's going to be Jameer Gibbs. And what's going to happen is recency bias is going to remind us that it's Jameer Gibbs. But if there's just enough transition in Atlanta for Bijan, then I would still say it's Bijan. But then again... To me, Bijan is kind of what Damian Pierce was to me last season. Damian Pierce was a player I drafted super late, just a flyer, like my Kyron Williams this year. And I was like, oh, my gosh, amazing. He had a great season, then he got injured. Uh, this season hasn't been as productive, and all of a sudden, Devin Singletary is like the, the, the man, right? So mm-hmm. will this happen? Will he come back down to earth? Bijan was getting drafted in the first round this year, and I was blown away. I'm like, all of you people that talk about your zero RB strategy are now drafting a rookie running back over Saquon Barkley. What are you doing? You know, but it worked for about six weeks, and now it's flatlined. Well, I will say this. Arthur Smith is basically the antichrist when it comes to fantasy football. He's the worst. Um, and that, that'll change the narrative as well with Bijan because, you know, if they bring in, you know, if they bring in Ben yeah. Johnson from the Lions, that everybody's going to be hog wild for Bijan Robinson. He's going to get drafted in the top five picks. And then we may be doing this all over again. Uh, listen, uh, we'd like to do this again if you'd, if you'd come back on. This was great, Lisa. Thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Really appreciate it. And I would say go Cowboys. Um, but if they get back to the if they get to the Super Bowl against the Bills, we're definitely going to have to have you on. For sure. I would love to come back on again. Thank you so much for having me and enjoy these games and the rest of this season. Reach out anytime gladly come back on for sure thanks for doing this lisa there she goes lisa and host of the lisa and experience podcast better halves on sirius xm and fantasy football sports and betting analysts so you better say go cowboys they're playing the dolphins i know that's true i, I had i had that thought this in my game brain. means more to you than it does to cowboys fans i know here's the thing though like it's funny that lisa mentioned like having very tempered expectations that's kind of how i i'm feeling going into this weekend as a whole. Like the the Bills should. They're going into LA to play the Chargers. The Chargers stink. They just fired their coach. They have a backup quarterback. It will be filled with Bills fans at SoFi Stadium, the rental property for um for the Chargers. Donovan, because I've seen so much bad stuff, I'm a I'm slightly concerned. Well, you better not have Tempered expectations. You should. They win should win by four and win big and get all those starters out. Standing by the Gatorade cooler. I had to think if it was a either the Gatorade fan, the or fan. BioSteel or, or Prime uh, Sports Drink. Oh, not Prime, please. Patrick Mahomes just signed a big deal I know with, he with did. Prime after being a, a BioSteel guy. Listen, this is why the run of games, this potential postseason, 
means a lot for the Buffalo Bills, even more so than the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys, they're probably going to bring Mike McCarthy back because he has, you know, theoretically fixed their offense. And let's be honest, Jerry Jones is the actual head coach of the team. Gerald. Just wants a, a yes person. And, and it hasn't been enough of a disaster for them to move on. One thing he has been is patient with head coaches. The Buffalo Bills don't have that luxury. They have real cap questions moving forward. They have an aging roster mm-hmm. moving forward. And they are moving into a new building. So uh, the rent is too damn high, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so the Pakulas will have some questions in terms of the roster and its makeup, if things don't end well, they could have some questions about the head coach. No, we, we don't think that's going to be an issue, but l- mess around and lose three straight and, and see what uh, the end of this season will. So I, this is a big sprint to the end of the year for the Bills because, like, let's project this even moving further. Look around the AFC. As long as Patrick Mahomes is in Kansas City, they're not going anywhere. Healthy Joe Burrow and the Bengals, they're theoretically not going anywhere. If Justin Herbert has a couple more adults in the room, maybe the Chargers might be a team to reckon with. In the future, the Texans look like they're on a rise. The the AFC is going to be a really difficult conference for a while. So the Bills have some questions to either maximize this window or to reset it and elongate it. So interesting that you said that too, because when we talk about like this season particularly, like if you are a team that has Super Bowl aspirations in the AFC, when you look at the Cincinnati Bengals with no Joe Burrow, you look at a down year for the Kansas City Chiefs offense. You look at the injuries that the Baltimore Ravens have on offense. Now Keaton Mitchell and, and Mark Andrews. Ronnie Stanley. Ronnie Stanley as well. That's a big one. Yeah. And then you look at the Miami Dolphins, whose offense has shown glimpses of being straight fire, but it also has a defense that is open for interpretation, let's call it. Sure. There's a window here. And knock on all the wood that is around you, but it's still true. He could be the comeback player of the year, but their quarterback is one hit away. Yep. Yeah. And, And the Jets, you anticipate, would be... A little bit better next year. Well, can't be much worse. Well, no. But so so that's what I'm like. The Patriots won't be as bad as they were this year. I don't think. I mean, they could. But there's, for the Bills specifically, this is an opportunity that even though you don't have Matt Milano and you don't have Trey White and, and Daquan Jones may or may not be back if they get into the playoffs, your defense has shown uh, coming out of the bye that They've been able to make adjustments, and they look good. Like, we didn't give Sean McDermott any flowers. Like, I was hard on Sean McDermott when I needed to be, but he deserves some flowers for how this defense has played. Now, this game Sunday between the Dolphins and the Cowboys is interesting in that they feel like two teams that are not... I don't want to say front runners, but they're kind of front runners in one side of the ball. Like Dallas is a really good defense when teams have to throw the ball. The run defense has been pretty good, but it hasn't had to be super great because they've jumped out to leads and they've had to defend the pass and their secondary is really good and they can generate a pass rush. The Dolphins, their offense is really good when they get out to a lead. 
Their defense can't hold anybody back, but it's because they put up all these points, so it doesn't matter. So I look at both of these teams and I say, they're similar in that there is a facet of their game that you look at and go, oh boy, I'm really not sure about that. And that's, to me, why this matchup Sunday is going to be interesting to see. Two good offenses going up against each other. Can their defenses not be front runners for a change? Yeah, let's be clear. This game is homework for the Dallas Cowboys. Remember, you got those yep. exercises you have to bring home. And like, well, if this isn't being graded or marked, why do I care? Well, because they get you ready for the exam. And the exam for Dallas specifically is to get to where you want to get to in the NFC. Who are you going to have to go through? The Niners? Mm-hmm. The Eagles? The Lions? Oh, wait. Big physical teams? with talented backs that want to run the ball at you time and time and time again and play callers who scheme off of the play action, okay, well, this is your Achilles heel. You have to figure it out. Well, there's no better opportunity to do that than facing the Dolphins and Raheem Mostert, who has more rushing touchdowns this year than he has in his entire career combined. So 11 of them are inside the five-yard line. A hundred percent. Um, which is to Lisa Ann's point. That's why you pick uh, running back specifically, but players on, on good offenses because they're going to give you an opportunity to score points. You don't act like a fool like me and pick Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, who are really talented players who frustrate you. Yeah, but, but hold on, though. In your defense with those two guys, you also thought that they were going to have a Hall of Famer at quarterback, not a the, Hall of Shamer. I did, but the, their, even their Hall of Famer has been on a steady decline and... Their offensive line is garbage. Okay, no fine. You're a fool, Don. Is I, that what you wanted me to say? Yes, yes. I am a fool. <laughs> I am a fool. I get enamored hey, by the Lance. talents. Clip that, Lance. Oh, <laughs> the things we make you say. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Tom Brady sounds off on DeMonte KZ's suspension after his hit on Michael Pittman, which was horrible. Um, and he took a, an approach to this that I really did not think that he was going to. Donovan and I will discuss that when we come back. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back after this. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. Well, Donovan, sometimes people will surprise you when they say something. And Tom Brady, offensive guy, quarterback, greatest quarterback of all time. Try and at me about that one. We'll see. He said something yesterday. So for those that haven't seen the DeMonte KZ hit, I mean, if you haven't, I don't I, I don't know how you missed it. But DeMonte KZ, corner for the Pittsburgh Steelers, almost decapitated Michael Pittman. I think that's a pretty safe assumption because as bad as that Keaton Mitchell injury was, which, by the way, I, I, really, I listened again to my description of it and you said it was graphic. I don't think it was that bad. But anyway, the Michael Pittman the hit on Michael Pittman felt like it was so much worse. Like I lo- I was li- I was watching it and the thought in my head was and obviously I was being hyperbolic but I was like he's dead. The way that his body bent in that like I was just like, well, 
that might be the end of Michael Pittman for this season. It was that bad. When you saw the hit, was what was your reaction to it? I'm assuming very, very close to the same. My reaction was that that's a personal foul that Pittman's done for the year. And that is how Steve Atwater was able to play in the NFL, essentially. Like, it was those type of hits. And it it it, it always reminds me of how quickly sensibilities change. Because not that long ago, when I was a kid watching football, I would have seen that hit and be like, oh, I can't wait to rewatch that on You Got Jacked. Remember that segment? Yeah. Well, for hockey fans, it was Rock'em Sock'em, Rock'em, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. And now... My... Terry Tate office linebacker. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and now my sensibilities are... I have a child, and I could never see that. Well, not, not, not a child. I have a fantasy team. And, you know, uh, and, and what is the amount the fine is going to be, and what is the cost going to be to that offense You know, if they don't have Pittman down the stretch for their playoff run? But that is not exactly the mindset that Tom Brady had when, when he... Saw the hit. No. And so here's this comment. Uh, this was on Instagram. It's like, Tom, can you find, like, tweet it out, whatever. Like, don't make me go find this. Okay? But anyway. So X it out. Yeah. X it out. It's yeah. X. Whatever. It's Twitter. It will always be Twitter. Um, so here's Tom Brady's comment on it. Nobody likes seeing players get hurt, but hard hits happen. QB should not be throwing the ball in areas where they're exposing their own teammates to types of hit, these types of hits. Coaches need to coach better. QBs need to read coverages and throw the ball to the right places. And defenders should aim for the right hitting areas. To put the blame on the defense, well, I should say defensive player. Come on, Tom. You graduated from Michigan. Defensive player all the time is just flat out wrong. Need better QB play. It's not okay, QBs, to get your wide receivers hit because of your bad decisions. J.J. Watt um, responded with the, it's not prayer hands, it's two hands high-fiving. But anyway, same idea. And to me, I, I the game is so far weighted to the offensive side of the ball because it's more exciting, and I understand that. And they are trying to protect players. My issue with it is, what is DeMonte KZ supposed to do in that situation? Well, I think he, he leads with his helmet, and that's dangerous. I understand that. But is he not supposed to hit him? Well, Javon Kurse had a similar post and a somewhat similar hit, well, similar in the fact that he was flagged for it. Uh, but he reposted the video, and he gets his head out of the way. He leads with his shoulder, and his helmet makes some contact with the opposing helmet, and the flag was thrown. But you you can't, at the same time, see what you hit, and get your head out of the way. Those things are impossible. Well, unless you have eyes in your... In the side of your head, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And I think what people don't understand when these hits are played from every angle in slow motion is how fast this is happening. Yeah. We're talking about milliseconds, but also both parties are moving. The target that I'm trying to hit is a moving target. So I don't necessarily know where his chest is going to be in relation to where his head is going to be half a second from now because he's moving, I'm moving, the ball is moving. We're trying to time this up. And these are the greatest athletes in the world trying to do this on the fly. And really, if we're being honest, you're just seeing flashes of color and trying to hit it. You're not 
as precise. I'm going to move my head an inch to the right, and that's going to mean I'm going to hit shoulder pad and not helmet. Like, that's just I what need to it tackle is. this guy. That's what I got to do. Well, you, I have to bring him down or or knock the ball out or or make my presence felt over the middle of the field. And at this point, this conversation has been had so long that it's now 15 yards because it looks bad. Did he fall backwards? His hands go in the air? Did he stay lying on the ground? And that's not fair, but that's also not changing. Because lawsuits are real. And yeah. the legal team is going to be like, you need plausible deniability for any class action lawsuit to come. So you need to make sure that these penalties are strong and a deterrent. And if not, because they're not a deterrent, because there's only so much you can do, you have to make it very clear that you're sending a message with this discipline. I think my issue with what Brady s- said is, Tom, both things can be true. Yeah. Yes, Quarterbacks need to protect their players. And yes, defenders are, are doing the best they can. But also, Tom, you are a benefit of all of this. All of the ridiculous receiving numbers and passing numbers and completion percentage numbers that we see are because the middle of the field is wide open because people are afraid to make hits and because people can only tackle the quarterback a certain way. Can't go too low, can't hit him in the head, the strike zone is so small. And the quarterbacks now are as good, if not better, athletes than many of the guys trying to tackle them. Tom Brady, above anybody, was one of the biggest beneficiaries of this. He gets injured because of a low hit, misses a year. All of a sudden, the rules change in terms of how you hit the quarterback. And find me a player who complained to officials about being hit more than Tom Brady. Yeah. Good luck. Well, in in, in his defense, he does he does kind of come to the aid of DeMonte KZ and say quarterbacks need to be better. And, and in it, the, point, the point that I take from this is Quarterbacks now have the time to go to make these throws and not put guys into danger because of how defenses play and how there is, you know, they are a little bit scared off by it. Well, this is where I would push back on Tom Brady when he says quarterbacks need to be better. And if I'm a PA member, I'm kind of looking at him with side eye. Okay, that's fine. Let's look at the things that we have collectively bargained uh, out of the game. The amount of practices that we have in the offseason to get the timing with your wide receivers, to get offensive line play. To a point where it's not, I would argue, the worst it's ever been. Because the offensive line needs time for chemistry and gel and to get reads. But the PA has bargained these things out of the game to, quote-unquote, protect players. Meanwhile, the division of money has steadily gone to the quarterback more and more and more and not built out these other positions. So there are no stronger advocates for what happens between the PA and the league than the actual quarterbacks. Tom... You were just in the game for two decades. You could have spoke up about where the rules should have been, where the allocation of resources should have been, where the practice time should be. How are you get, expecting all of these backup quarterbacks to that are forced into to play to be able to make those types of decisions with the least amount of reps? The wild thing is, despite everything that we have done to help keep offensive players healthy, Every week, what are we talking about on this show? What quarterback is down? Yeah. What offensive player is hurt? So it's actually, I don't think, changing the game and making it safer. It's just making a stronger legal case if players sue in the future. Do you think that the NFL needs to be able to review things like targeting? Yes. Like so, call it, like they do in college. We're, we're sitting through long reviews and where the ball is spotted. Yeah. Why don't we get these big game-changing plays correct? Too many times we've seen 
things that were called a personal foul not actually be a personal foul. So if we're going to be outraged off of the benefit of replay when it, oh man, did his helmet graze his shoulder pad, then hit his, his the opposing helmet. If we're going to nitpick based off replay, we should also be able to get these calls right with replay as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, we got about mm, five and change left. About five minutes. Um, there's a game that we haven't talked. I mean, there's lots of things that we haven't talked about, but uh, the Lions put an absolute drubbing on the Broncos, 42-17. to 17. The Denver defense comes back down to earth. Um, Jared Goff, five TD passes. Sam Laporta, three Touchdown grabs. Amon Ross St. Brown eclipses the 100-yard mark. Gibbs and Montgomery combined for 185 rushing yards on 20 carries. I mean, uh, Detroit has, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if they've clinched a spot yet, um, but they look like they've bounced back here. And when you look at this offense from Detroit, like as much as the defense has had its moments in the sun where it's looked good, the offense, you know, there have been times where it's struggled, but generally speaking, it's been good and Ben Johnson is a big part of that. But when you look at the skill position group, can you make the case that they have the best punch of, let's call it wide receiver, two wide receiver, or one wide receiver, tight end, two running backs, like four skill position guys, let's say. You have to include at least one wide receiver. We're playing fantasy football now. At least one wide receiver, one running back, a tight end, and then you can pick whoever is the other guy. Like outside of San Francisco, is there, I, I don't know. I don't think that there's anybody that's kind of in that category. Like Dallas doesn't have it. Buffalo doesn't have it. Baltimore doesn't have it. It's to me, it's San Fran and Detroit, especially the way Sam Laporte has been playing. Yeah, when the Eagles were playing well, I would say they would have been in the conversation, but they're not playing well. But DeAndre well. Swift yeah. hasn't been able to run the ball like he was earlier in the year. I know. We have to say, the Lions have bodied the draft over the last oh, they sure couple have. years. They go and find Amon Ra St. Brown when a bunch of receivers who aren't nearly as good go ahead of him. Last year, oh, Jameson Williams, he's hurt. You're not going to have him right away. Then this year he gets suspended. That looks like a great pick to put He's been across. a lot better lately. No question. Looks really good. So you got someone to run the top off the defense. Jameer Gibbs, I don't know. That's a little bit early for the running back. He looks great. They get Sam Laporta in a year that was full of tight ends that people thought were going to be outstanding. Dolphins. And he went ahead of Michael Mayer, too, which a lot of people were surprised at at the draft. They're not surprised anymore. They sure aren't. Because he looks like uh, the best tight end, not only in this class, in the game. Just evidently, just take an Iowa tight end every year. Uh, it, it, Pretty it, much. Without yeah. fail. They have built this offense throughout the draft. And and I should say over the last couple of years also rebuilt that offensive line, which is obviously not as sexy. And then, you know, you've got the game manager and Jared Goff just dealing. Yeah. I, I think when we look back at how they've built this offense through the draft and, and that's not even to speak on what they've done on the defensive side uh, through the draft, whether it's Hutchinson or Campbell or branch getting playmakers at every level of the defense, the lines are going to be a problem for a while. Yeah. Brad Holmes has done a really good job. And even the signing of David Montgomery, a lot of people were, you know, like, ah, really? David Montgomery he's coming out of Chicago, like, whatever. You know, it's fine, but you paid a lot of money for him. The guy, he just gets 80 yards rushing in his sleep. And he's a different running back than Jameer Gibbs. That tandem, 
may be the best in football right now, and especially the way they're deployed. Like, Jameer Gibbs is used the way that everybody was hoping that DeAndre Swift would be used in Detroit. And the James, I'm glad you brought up Jameson Williams, too, because we talked at the deadline about the, the need for this team to add a wide receiver. They, they didn't, and in their mind, they were right. They didn't need to because he was already there, you know? And, and so Jamison Williams coming out of that draft was a home run pick by all accounts. And obviously there have been things, the injuries, the suspension, like it hasn't gone well, but boy, oh boy, like he could be an X factor for this team in the playoffs because it's another guy that you have to account for. Nobody expected this type of season from Sam Laporta. Nobody expected Jameer Gibbs to blow up this late in the season. And I think a lot of people thought that David Montgomery was going to take a step back. This offense, boy, oh boy, I don't feel so horrible about my pick of them going to the NFC Championship game. Not that I ever did, but. Yeah, who would have thought? You'd get a DN from the Big Ten, a receiver from Alabama, and a tight end from Iowa, and they would all pan out. Yeah, it's a crazy thing, eh? It's a really crazy thing. Uh, That's going to do it for us today on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, And if you're listening to the podcast, thank you very much as well. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Adam Rank will join us. Our weekly Wednesday hit with him from NFL Network. So be prepared for that. And we've got Saturday football this week. Christmas is coming up. I mean, Christmas is early because there's Saturday football. So I'm not worried. Thanks to Lance behind the glass, Donovan across the table. Thank you to all of you for listening to the show today. We will be back tomorrow. The Fan Check Down, Matt Marchese signing off on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Bye-bye.